Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Um, we've been uh, taking our time really looking at the different portions that Jesus is teaching on here. So uh, today, Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles nearby, would you go ahead and follow along with me as I read Matthew 6, starting here in verse 1. Jesus says, he says, take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Uh, This is the word of God. These are the words of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for uh, this encouragement today. Thank you for the gift of your word, and specifically Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Um, God, as as we open up your word today, and as I seek to communicate, Lord, what your, your heart is and what your word says, I just ask for you to fill me with your Holy Spirit, and empower me to speak your words. I pray, God, for you to speak to us. Use this time for your glory and our good. We ask for ears to hear what you want to say to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, today, as we unpack these verses, looking here again at Matthew 6, 1 through 4, just these simple four verses that are, are um, deep, as deep as they are simple, um, here in this passage, I want to preach from the title, Secret Service, okay? Secret service. It's a little fun play on words, okay? Um, But Jesus here in this passage is getting at something that he's going to be harping at for the next around 21 verses. Now, the Sermon on, let me say this, the Sermon on the Mount is certainly a sermon that Jesus preaches, but in regards to the content that Jesus is delivering, it's more like a sermon series. Uh, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is kind of jumping from topic to topic, kind of going here, then going over there. He's gone everywhere from lust to oaths to salt to the law. And now in chapter 6, verses 1 through 21, Jesus is going to hone in on a specific aspect of being, a, of being one of his followers, a, 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 being a follower of Christ. And this area of our lives as it pertains to why we are being spiritual and how we're going about spiritual activity. He, he deals with three specific spiritual practices. Uh, the one we just read there has to do with good works and charity. The next one that we'll focus on in the weeks to come will be prayer, why, how to pray in a way that's, that's honoring to God and not bringing attention to you. Uh, and then fasting is the last one. We'll talk about that as well. Um, but all of these things that he's teaching on, Jesus is specifically honing in on what you can kind of describe as like secretive spirituality. That's kind of what Jesus is teaching his followers about. And it contradicts and it contrasts the spirituality of the modern day religious leaders. Their spirituality was very performative. It was very public. It was very attention grabbing and drawing. 
Uh, But what Jesus is getting at here is true relationship with God, which is defined not by what you do in public, but by who you are in private, in truth. And so he's going to sort of unpack how we can go about these three practices in a way that is true and, and is honoring and that reflects what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. The context here is going to lead us to this verse where Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, right? Where he goes on to say, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But he says, but instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now that is used by every church and pastor to talk about tithing. Okay, and who knows, we may go there, all right? But the context of that verse is actually about good deeds, prayer, and fasting. It's about going about your Christian life in a way that's not about getting things here on earth. How can I, a lot of us, we think about Christianity that way. How can I sort of use this for my own selfish gain? How can I manipulate my circumstances through spirituality? And Jesus is teaching us here that we ought to be those that that lay up treasures in heaven by the way we go about our Christian life, not living simply for this life on earth. And so today, Jesus focuses on, or we're looking at, uh, we're focusing on verses, as I said, we read there, uh, one through four in this kind of idea of secretive spirituality, and it has to do with our deeds, okay, our service, hence the title, secret service, what we do Um, in the service uh, to those around us. And so what I want to do with these four verses is just take a moment here with our time together and just make and look at three observations. Three observations about this text where Jesus is talking about secret service. Okay. Um, The first observation that I want to draw our attention to in this section about charitable deeds is, number one, write this down. Uh, From reading this text, the first observation we have here from Jesus is that good works are expected. Good works are expected. Now, he's writing to a culture that is, is familiar with these three practices, um, the cult, a culture that actually had, had these three rhythms as the central tenets of spiritual disciplines. In our culture, I think when we think about spiritual practices and disciplines, I think in American, the, the Western culture, modern culture, it's like we think of reading our Bible, praying, and going to church. Like those are the three big practices of our culture. But in that day and age, uh, the life with God's people, first of all, going to church was everything. Uh, the synagogue was the community center. It, it was the, the, source, uh, the, the center of justice, the center of worship and spirituality. You didn't go to church. You, you, you lived in community with the people of God. It was very normal. Reading your Bible was a little different as a spiritual practice back then uh, because growing up in a Jewish tradition, you didn't just read your Bible, but you put the entire Bible to memory. So talk about a spiritual discipline. Uh, you like had your own little encyclopedia. We're like, I'm going to study, you know, John chapter four today. You know, or, you know, Exodus chapter twelve, and you're sitting there thinking about it. You know, I don't know what that's like, but but you get this idea that in that culture, uh, the, the spiritual disciplines. It wasn't merely going to church, reading our Bible, although those are important things. If you come to Solus Church for any length of time, you'll. You, you'll walk away with this sense of, I need to be in the Word of God, and I need the Word of God to shape and form me, hence what we're doing right now. But in that culture, the three primary spiritual practices were what we read, read about here. Charity, uh, uh, giving alms or, or, or giving to the needy is the idea, good works, prayer, and fasting. Those are the three central practices of this culture. 
But notice that it's also expected of those who follow Jesus. This is an expected spiritual practice. Notice two times in this passage, verses 2 and 3, Jesus says this phrase. He says, when you do a charitable deed. When. Not if. Not like, hey, if you feel like it every now and then doing something good, doing a good work, go for it. But, But Jesus is expecting, he's assuming that we know that part of following Jesus will include doing charitable deeds. Doing good works. Uh, That's the point, the first observation we're making here. From Jesus' own words here, good works are expected. And this is not just said by Jesus. This is echoed all throughout the New Testament, specifically in one of my favorite little tiny books of the New Testament, and it's the book of Titus, which, as you know, is the Titus book in all the Bible, okay? In the book of Titus, there's this constant theme that Paul is getting at, writing to this young pastor, uh, and it has to do with his discipleship over the church in Crete, okay? I think, Russ, a couple, didn't you talk about Crete, the Cretans, a couple weeks ago? This little island in Greece, and Paul is writing to this church planner, and one of the main things he's focusing on uh, with this church planner in regards to discipleship is that Uh, here's what he said. Rather than just say it, let me read it to you. Paul says, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm to you constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. Isn't that interesting? That's Paul saying this must be a central part of, of discipleship, that as you're leading that church, you must make sure that you're leading people to be careful, to be thoughtful, to be intentional about doing good Works and let me say it. Uh, let me let me sh- uh, draw our attention to another verse. It's it's a couple verses later that he says, "And let our people also learn." Notice this: to maintain good works and to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. So, just a simple reading of the New Testament, whether it's Jesus or Paul, will will, will lead you to walk away with this understanding that I am expected to be intentional, to be careful. To maintain, is even the word used there, a pattern and a life of doing good works. Good works are expected. Now, if we're going to talk all about how important they are, we should probably define them, okay? What do I mean when I say good works? What what does that mean? What is this idea here? Jesus uses the phrase charitable deeds, generous, kind gestures and actions. Here's what the, the, the word good works means when we see this in the New Testament. The idea here is loving deeds of service for the good of those around me, okay? Loving deeds of service for the good of those around me. And the, the beautiful thing about good works that God, we're going to talk about, that God has prepared for us, is it's, this is very broad. This can look like a lot of different things. For some of you, it's the way that you treat the customer at your workplace, in how you serve them their coffee, you know, or it's, or it's how you, it, it could be, this could go from like super zoomed in to, uh, and specific to super general, like helping the grandmother cross the street, classic, you know, um, a little Russell trying to get his little extra Boy Scout patch, you know. Um, uh, moms, when you're at home and you are filling that sippy cup for the eighth time, in 20 minutes, okay, and probably changing some diapers at that point, but, but when you are constantly replenishing the needs of your children, you are l- accomplishing loving deeds of service for the, goods of those, for the good of those around me. You're accomplishing good works, good works. Think about your own life and think about what sort of loving deeds of service are you doing for the good of those around me. Now, 
An important question I want to ask here as we see this, this point again that good works are expected of Christ followers is I want to ask this question. Why? Why are good works expected of you and me? Why does Paul tell Titus to challenge the church to be careful to maintain good works? And the answer to this question is, in, uh, is also in the book of Titus, which tells us that we have been saved for good works. It's why we have been saved. Now, I'm not seeing it here in my slides, but let me read it to you. It's Titus chapter 2. Verse 11 through, I'll tell you in a second. Uh, Titus chapter 2, listen to this. Uh, Titus will say this previous, uh, prior to his words about um, good works. He'll say, for the grace of God, Titus 2, 11, that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts, that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, notice this, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, notice the contrast, and purify himself for himself, his own special people, zealous for good works." Zealous for good works. Now, this is interesting because I think today, let, let me back up and say, um, I think there's been a lot of confusion in, uh, f- that has come to the ears of many Christ followers and even those who aren't in the church. And it's come from the mouths of those who are within the church. And for a long time in our culture, there was a gospel that was preached that, that sort of communicated that your worth to God is directly connected to the good works that you do. That your worth is connected to your works. So you're only as loved and accepted by God uh, as you are doing good works. As you are coming to church. As you are reading your Bible. As you are being pure with your boyfriend or girlfriend. As you are loving your wife. You know, and there's sort of this works righteousness theology, I think, that has, has dominated a lot of, uh, of the church for the past couple decades. That has led a lot of people today to have a healthy rediscovery of the gospel. I don't know about you, but growing up in the church, I had to, uh, I knew the gospel too well. Do you know what I mean? I was too familiar with it that I was like too close to actually see it. To actually, and so what I've, been, I've experienced in my own life as a follower of Jesus is this thing that I would encourage you to do where I've taken a few steps back to get a full view of the gospel, to make sure I really understand what this Jesus thing is all about. And what you do when you take that full view is you see a God that is not waiting for you to do good works, but has already done good works for you and has accepted you and loved you just as you are. And this is the message of the gospel. Paul will say in Ephesians 2 that we are saved by grace through faith and not of works. Amen? Not by what we do, but by his grace. It's only grace. It's sola gratia. It's solus Christus. It's all about Jesus and his grace. That's our salvation. That's our standing with God. And Paul will again make the effort to say it's not your works. Titus will go on to say that in chapter 3. We have been saved, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Now, that is a beautiful and healthy thing. And it is a dangerous gospel to make your salvation about your works, but it is a, listen, it is an incomplete gospel to remove good works from this equation altogether. And that's what I think a lot of people have done. In response to works righteousness, today Christianity is only about the works of Jesus, and don't get me wrong. If you come to Solus, you'll get that heartbeat. 
But there's a modern-day Christianity that just said Jesus paid it all and nothing to him I owe. And that's true. You don't owe Jesus anything except your life that he bought for you, you know, that he bought of you. And, and you don't owe anything for him to love you, but there's this sort of incomplete, almost like non-impacted Christian life that can be lived where we remove good works. And Paul, if we read the Bible, okay, we don't just listen to our favorite preacher who's reacting to this theology, that's important, but when you read the New Testament, when you read what we just read there in Titus 2, 11 through 15, Paul is saying this. He's, he's saying, listen, you're not saved by your good works, but you are saved for good works, He says that God has, in Christ, he has redeemed us. This is what we celebrate, his redemption. And what he has done in that redemption is he has delivered us from a life that we were living, which were lawless deeds. Those were the works that we were enslaved to, that we still have to battle again by the power of the Spirit. Bad works. And we have been redeemed to be a people zealous for good works. Okay, we get the heartbeat here, not saved by our good works, but saved. The Bible will teach that we are certainly saved for good works. You could say it's why we've been saved, to do good works, to do good works. Ze- I love that idea there, too, of being zealous for good works. Come on, you, you know the most famous verse about this is Ephesians 2.10, right, where Paul really hammers this point. He says, for we are his workmanship, in, in the Greek his poema where you get the idea of poem, or uh, some translations say, we are his work of art. And this is speaking to the, the masterpiece that God makes out of our lives that are a mess, from a mess to a masterpiece because of grace. And we become, we, we see ourselves in the mirror apart from Jesus, and it's not quite a work of art, okay? <laughs> all right? It's a mess, all right? Um, it's, it, it was created to be a work of art in God's image, but it's a flawed image, it, it, the human condition has been described as, as something like the, uh, uh, the, the Mona Lisa with graffiti on it. Something created beautiful but broken and flawed. But in Christ, through grace, through salvation, we are his workmanship. Isn't that awesome to know that God sees you as his work of art in Christ? And notice this, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Created, saved, born again in Jesus for, the, for, for loving deeds of service to, for the good of those around me. Which, notice this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, Paul is getting at the same point we've been saying. Earlier, he, it's, it's actually two verses before this where he says that we're not saved by our works, but we are saved for good works. We are created in Christ Jesus for this purpose. So question for you today would simply be, how is your zeal when it comes to good works? We got to make sure we have the right reason, not so that God will accept you, but because God has accepted you, are you zealous for good works? Jesus expects us to be people that are going into our day and our lives zealous as those who are redeemed from bad works, safe to do good works. Sometimes we're so consumed, I think, with our own lives that we miss the opportunities that are prepared before us. It says that here in this verse that God has prepared good works for us to walk in. Isn't that awesome? Uh, By the way, this is creation language. This is Genesis language. Think of Adam and Eve. The garden was prepared before they were ever created. 
the good works that they were commissioned to do in that garden of carrying God's vision of a flourishing creation for his glory, carrying that vision forward. All the, all the raw materials was prepared before they were created. It was then that man was created to walk in what was prepared for them. And, and that's what Paul is saying here, just like in the creation story. Uh, imagine thinking about our lives that way. Imagine if we saw South Florida as a garden prepared for us to produce some cool fruit in, to reach people for the gospel. Imagine if we saw our jobs, our workplace, our homes, our neighborhoods as prepared fields for the harvest. But notice the emphasis here. What's prepared is only worthwhile if it's walked in, right? Like recently, uh, as I mentioned, my kids have been obsessed with fishing. And... Um, and this is just like simple, drop a little line in the water and hopefully don't drop their fishing pole in fishing. Um, but I'm the one that is doing most of the work, just to be honest, okay? Like they've gotten into fishing and so therefore I am doing a lot of fishing. Um, and, and most of what I, I'm doing lately is preparing the, the rods for them. So they got their little Walmart uh, Evie's got her little frozen rod, and, and what I'll do is I'll get the line ready. I'll do my best to look up on YouTube or ask Russ how to do a nice knot, you know, and, and I'll put the hook on without them. Either. Lately, it's, you got to pray for me. I, I'm, I am, I've had to dodge quite a few hooks. Daddy, will you hook this for me? It's like flies in my eye, you know, and so what I'll do is I'll prepare, I'll prepare the bait, prepare the hook, you know, put a little bobber on them because Evie likes the bobbers, you know. Uh, but, but I'm not going to do the fishing for them. I'll prepare it, but it's for them to then experience the joy of the catch, the joy of the cast, I should say. A lot more casting than catching. But, but you get the idea. It's been prepared for them. Um, and I just want us to be reminded of this, that we are ex- not only are we expected to do good works, but the, the vision of this is, is we're called and we get the opportunity to do and to walk in things that God has prepared for us. Man, what would it look like for you to start thinking about your life right now as that prepared field for you to do good works in? Like, what good works are you neglecting? Maybe it's something specific. Maybe it's something big. It's a step of faith. I think right now we have a very unique opportunity as the church who is, you know, normally as the church, we are more gathered than we are scattered, right? The church is both a gathered and scattered community. We gather in community, we scatter on mission about our lives. And, and of course, before corona, pre-corona, we're a primarily gathered community, less scattered. We spend most of our time together, and that is 100% important and uh, being missed right now. But, but right now, we are positioned in a unique opportunity because we as the church are more scattered than we are gathered. You see in the book of Acts, it's Acts chapter I think it's Acts chapter 8 or 9. Um, I want to say 7 now. It's in the book of Acts, the first half of it somewhere. And in the book of Acts, you see this, this persecution that just falls upon the early church. And you have over, some scholars estimate in Acts chapter 6, over 12,000 Christians huddled up in Jerusalem. And you see this just fist of persecution that falls on the church. And the Bible says that the, that the church scatters. It's the dispersion. They're dispersed all throughout, and it's like God taking this handful of gathered seed and scattering it, and that's like what's happened to us right now as a church. I, I, I miss being together, but I don't want to miss. 
I don't want us to miss the opportunity that God has for us right now with being scattered. What good works has God prepared for us as a scattered church right now? Like maybe you've been more in contact and in proximity to your neighbors than ever before. And you have an opportunity to live out this truth that the church is not a service that's done on Sunday morning, but it's a people that have been rescued and redeemed and sent on a mission. So you are an extension of the church on mission to reach your neighbors in your workplace. What good works has God prepared beforehand? Don't wait for them to show up at your door. The good works that we're called to are those that we need to walk in. We have to step into them. All right, expected for us, prepared before us. And this is what we get to see. Is, is This is what we see throughout, throughout history. You see that God's good work is done through his people doing the good works prepared for them. Uh, that's the first observation. A pretty big one, took a little time on it. I think it's important. But number one, again, good works are expected. Now, uh, Jesus, he's teaching not just on what we're supposed to do, but remember, the big thrust of this passage is how we're to go about it. So, so we established, number one, good works, essential, necessity, expected. But number two, write this next one down, good motives in our good works are essential. You could say that's the main point that Jesus is making. It's not just what you're doing it, but it's how and why you're doing it. I'm walking in my good works, but for what reason? That's what Jesus is getting at. And here in this passage, he's specifically warning us and cautioning us against a very flawed motive, a bad motive for doing good things, whatever those good things are. He tells us there in verse 6, take heed, or chapter one of chap, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6. <laughs> he says, take heed, or, or in other words, uh, carefully consider, think about, stop, pause, think about. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And he says, take heed, think about that you do not do your good works, your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. So Jesus is going to harp in this, in this section here as we read. He's harping on this motive for doing good, which is to get attention from people. To be seen by people. He'll, he'll go on to say, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. If that's your motive, if your motive is doing good so that others will see you, we live in a culture right now that is obsessed with attention, obsessed with views, being seen and being perceived. We all have this persona that we're projecting, and if I can do a couple spiritual things that will sort of up my, uh, you know, my social currency and, and, and give me, we all have this temptation to live for others' views of, of me, right? There's this temptation to find our fulfillment and our security in, in people having a high view of me. None of us want to ha- want people to have a low view of us. And, you know, some people live that way. Like I don't care what people think about me, and I want them. You know, and there's a danger to that as well. It's like, well, you should be nice. You know, it's like I don't care what people think. Well, Jesus, you know, loved people. You know, like, um, but there's this equally destructive danger, which is living for the attention of others. And Jesus says, be careful that your good works don't get done that way. And this is what's interesting about this. This is something that only God can see, right? This is something that's about you and God. This is not you just asking yourself, why am I doing good things or why do I go about being a Christian? But it's asking God, God, what do you see? Search me. What motives in my heart have I been blind to? 
and this could fall into categories. This, this could be specific things, categorical spiritual things that you're doing, right? So that people will see you as spiritual, that, you know, that devotion. They're going to think I'm so godly. Oh, my gosh. I didn't read it, but <laughs> all right. All right? It's, I see it, uh, I feel like sometimes in the church, American church, we love to, social media is a great tool. It can also be a, it's a tool for great things. It also, also can be a tool for our egos. It can be a tool to show off how, you know, it's like the church giving the other, the poor people the check. Like, you know, it's like, be careful. Be careful that attention is the, is the motive for what you're doing. This, this is more than just like specific things. Like you, you can live your whole Christian life this way. That's where it gets dangerous. Where you have a form, the Bible says you have a form of godliness, but you don't have the power of God actually. You don't actually have a relationship with God. You just have a public performance. And you do good things to be seen by men. So you'll repost this, you'll do this, you'll do that. And, and Jesus is saying, take heed that your Christian life, that your good deeds, that your good works don't come from this motive of being seen by men. Now, he's not saying don't do public deeds. That's not what he's saying, right? And we're gonna, we need to unpack that because he's going to go on to say that you should keep secrets between your right and left hand. And don't even tell your left hand what your right hand is doing. All right, but he's, he's talking about why you're doing it. He says, don't do your deeds. Notice again, before men to be seen by them. Now, um, I don't think it's possible to do good works that are not before men because they're for men. In fact, Matthew 5 is where Jesus says, let your light so shine before men. So it's not don't do good works before people, but it's why are you doing them? Is it to be seen? If doing that, if that's your motive, he says you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. You're missing the reason for why you should. It's a reward from God, not man. Notice this. He goes on to say, therefore, I love this. When you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets that they may have glory from men. Do, do, do. Everybody, come see how good I look, you know. Like everybody, come look at my good deed. You ever heard the expression tooting your own horn? There it is, right? Don't sound a trumpet. The idea is get, whoa, get their attention. <gasps> Look at them. Again, a culture obsessed with attention. And the reason why we're obsessed with attention is because we're obsessed with image. Who am I? How do people perceive me? Jesus says, notice this, don't be like the hypocrites. And who's he talking about here? He's talking about the Pharisees. The, the Greek word there for hypocrites is, uh, literally means professional pretender. The idea there is the world is your stage. It's your theater. And you're an actor. And you're putting on this show and you're being a hypocrite. You're not being who you really are. Hypocrisy is not just saying one thing and doing another. That's, a whole, that's commonly what we think of as hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is portraying someone you're not. It's wearing a mask. It's performing it's, by the way, it's tyranny, it's slavery, it's miserable, a miserable and a wasteful way to live, okay, for the approval of others. But Jesus says, this is what the, this is what the hypocrites do. Don't be like the hypocrites. It's, it's the gospel of John uh, where Jesus says about the Pharisees that all their works they, they, they do, they do it to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries. It's a great word. What did you get out of today's sermon? You can, if you want to sound smart, you can, when someone says, hey, what was church about today? You can just be like, it's just about like phylacteries. <laughs> All right. 
They make their, notice this, the Pharisees, they do all their works to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. A phylactery comes from this, this word that has to do with the word or, or, or words. And this is um, connected to Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 11 or 10, where God encourages the people of Israel to have the word of God between their eyes, on their minds, bound on their hand. And you have this religi- religious extremism that takes that, and, and I got I to... Gotta, People need to know I have God's word on my mind, not by how I live, <laughs> okay, wow, all right, but instead by how I, and this is what they would do in that culture, this, um, this, this tradition of Judaism, I'd wear this, it's called a phylac- phylactery, a big box on my head with a Torah in it, and there it is, on my forehead, and they would have, notice that they make their phylacteries broad, so the bigger your box is, <laughs> The more spiritual you are, okay? So, like, maybe there's guys that have, like, four-foot ones, and they're, I don't know, but, like, okay, the modern version of this is, like, big Bible, right? Got a big Bible. All right, it's like, well, the pages aren't creased at all. You know, it's like, what's up with that? All right, but you, you got this idea. It's performative righteousness. Jesus, don't be like the hypocrites, who are obsessed with attention and image, and they're, they're, listen, they are obsessed with and they are living for the praise of man, which is fleeting, which, which will not hold up past your death, which will not enable you to do what God has called you to do. You have to part ways with living for the praise of man. You've got to give that up. It's a wasteful way to live. Jesus says, don't let your good deeds be like the hypocrites who are performing their way through life, enslaved with a fake smile on, trying to get through each day, maintaining their image. Good motives are essential. Um, Jesus says instead, notice what he says, as to those who follow him, I love this. He says, but when you do a charitable deed, Verse 3, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Remember, good motives are essential. Instead, notice what he says, you do this this way, verse 4, that your charitable deed may be done in secret. Don't draw a whole show to it. But do it secretively that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. What a contrast, okay? Um, So you have one person who's living and doing good things, okay, for the reward of man's attention and praise. And then you have another person who's, the man's praise and recognition is not even a factor. And and so they're, 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 they're secretive even in how they go about it. And they're doing it for the reward of the father because they have his attention, okay, always. He sees them. We'll talk about that in a second. But you see the standard that Jesus gives, uh, secret service, all right? What a contrast. And he's being extreme here. But I love the language that's used here, that Jesus is using to describe what, what when you're so rid of this desire to be praised for your, good, for your good works, when you're so rid of this tendency to perform, you, you, you start to actually have fun doing good things. It's more fun to, not, to, 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 to have God see you do that thing and no one else know than to have everybody praise you. I'm telling you, there's something fun about that. It's like having a secret between you and God. 
Jesus, that's the way of the kingdom. Not living for praise and your own glory, but if you're doing it for the glory of God, you, you're not even going to let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. It's not about you. I love that. Like, keep the good deed of your right hand a secret from your left hand. And he's like, what are you guys doing over there? He's like, shh, quiet, okay? None of your business, all right? It's like, like it's, it's, it's so not about you that you, you deceive your own left hand. It's amazing, the, the way of the kingdom. Not tooting your own horn, not, not grandstanding, There's nothing wrong with proclaiming your spiritual, political opinion on social media. What God is looking at is who you really are and what you're really doing about what you feel and what you care about. We all have opinions, but are we living in, towards good works for the glory of the Father when no one's watching. That's the true test. The true test of who you are is not what you do in public, but it's who you are in private. The secret place. This is going to be a theme of Jesus here in this passage and here in this chapter. Now, this is the thrust. Jesus is ultimately getting at this question. He wants to ask us this question. What reward? Here's the question. He, we, we read it there, I think, three or four times the word reward is mentioned. The question Jesus wants us to think about with my good works, with doing good things, is what reward am I living for? You're living, right now, you are living for some kind of reward, consciously or, or subconsciously. We, we are all living towards some kind of reward, whether it's the reward of the flesh and the temporary and, the, and fulfillment here on earth and the praise of man. That's, that's what the Pharisees, the hypocrites did. The only other option is the reward of the Father. That's the reward we're called to live for. Now, I don't know what this reward is. But if God's giving it, it must be awesome. It must be worth living for. Jesus Jesus lived his whole life for the reward of the Father. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Living towards eternity. Living for the reward of the Father. Not living for the reward of man's attention and my own glory but living for the glory of God, I don't, I don't have to get the credit. It's all for God's glory and for the reward of God, for his reward towards me. And the reason why I live this way, again, it's verse 4, is because my Father sees me. This Father who sees what you do in secret when no one else sees, he's going to reward you for that. Why do I live for the reward of the Father, not the reward of man. And the reason is because you already have from God what you're looking for man to give you. You already have his attention. And this is why point number three where we close is this. Good theology is everything here. Okay? The, the, the basis of what you're living for right now is directly connected to who God is and who you are to him. And Jesus is wanting us to, to realize, to remember You're my father. You see me. You know me. You call me your own. I'm your child. For as many as receive Jesus, to them he's given the right, the privilege to be called children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And when we see God as our father, when we see ourselves as his children, we won't be caught up in living for the attention of man because we already have whose attention matters most. Okay? And, and this is central. 
understanding who God is. Remember, it's A.W. Tozer. How many times have we had to look at this quote? Such a good reminder. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when I think about God is the most important thing about my good works. Is God an employer waiting for me to earn my way up? Or is God a father? Man, when, when you receive and, be, and, and are saturated with this, the fatherhood of God, you're not wasting your life doing good work for the attention of others, but you're, wait, you're, you're, you're spending your life in response to God's affirmation of you. It's so different. You know, Jesus, uh, Jesus' entire ministry and his eternal life is defined by his relationship with his father. Specifically, I want to say this, not just who he was, that's important, but what he did, his good works. Uh, Remember, before Jesus even did a single good thing in ministry, before he did anything, it's it's Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, and it says when he was baptized, um, Jesus came up immediately out of the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, and I think it's resting upon him. And and suddenly, notice this, a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But but why? He hasn't done anything yet. Yeah, I know, but he's my son. It was the approval of the father that kick-started Jesus' ministry. It wasn't the finish line of his ministry. It wasn't like you did the things and now I approve you, now I'm well pleased with you. When you can wrap your heart and mind around the fact that God is pleased with you because of whose you are. And who you are, not what you do. There's no manipulating God's heart towards you. He loves you. He's your father. He sees what you do in secret. And what this will do is not only fuel your ministry, but it will form your ministry. It will form what you do. Like, because a lot of you, you do too many good works. (laughs) Because you care so much about what people think. And because you're doing it for man, you never say no. And so your priorities are all out of whack. And so I, I've seen many, man, I've, I've frustrated people in my life because I, I, listen, I've seen too many pastors forsake their families for good works. Ministry, man, there's, there's no ministry secondary to the ministry of a father and his household and his family. And when, you, when, when ministry is not about making people happy, but walking with the father, from his approval, with whatever he has before me, you don't become enslaved to the millions of tasks that you're never ever able to accomplish. There's a humility here too, by the way. When you know who, when you know who God is, you know who you're not. Okay? I'm not here to meet every need. You can't. Jesus didn't even do that. At the pool of Bethesda, there's tons of people. He heals one person. He wasn't needs driven. He was relationship driven. That, that, that's where this all comes from. Uh, I want you to see, this is our closing verse here, Matthew, uh, John chapter 5. Jesus says, but I have greater witness than John's for the works which, notice this, the works which the Father has given me to finish, these are the very works that I do and they bear witness of me. Notice the works that Jesus came on earth to do. The works that the Father has given him. That's the idea, right? That the Father has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Man, we're expected to do good works, as we have been saved from lawless deeds, to do good works, to live our lives in the, the loving service of the good of those around me. But why we do that matters. 
We don't do it for the praise and the attention of man. That's a fleeting reward. We do it for the reward, an eternal reward that comes from, a, from my Father who sees me, who knows me. This means so much. For, for those of you who are exhausted serving in secret, moms, moms, all that you do with no recognition, it's Hebrews chapter 6 that God is not unjust to forget your labor of love. You will be rewarded. We've got to forsake. We've got to repent of. We've got to part ways today with doing things for any other reason than the glory of God. That has a shelf life. You, if, what you're do, if you're doing what you're doing for recognition, it's not going to last. You'll give up. But if it's the approval of God, if it's, if it's the attention of God in your life, and if it's for Him, I'm telling you, that is a shelf life. That'll sustain, and that will be rewarded eternally. We do what we do, not to be accepted by God, but we do good works because we are accepted by God, because He has sent His Son, Jesus, to do the greatest works that none of us could do on our own. Look at the good works of Jesus in living that good-worked, Christian, perfect life that we all fail to live. Jesus did it for us. The good work of going to the cross as the spotless lamb, taking upon himself the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, becoming sin on my behalf so that I could become the righteousness of God in him. To doubt your righteousness in Christ is an offense to Jesus. You're doubting his righteousness. And that righteousness is on you. And that's a righteousness you can take to the bank. That's a righteousness you can rejoice in. It's not your own. It's gifted to you through the cross of Jesus. With the hope that even death itself can't stand a chance. Jesus rose victoriously from that grave. Ransoming our lives to be people who live towards heaven. Live for eternity with good works. It's got to all be about the Father.